the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we uh, start uh, our third hour here today. Someone I knew I wanted to talk to this week uh, was uh, it would be Terry Jeffrey, Terrence P. Jeffrey. He's the editor-in-chief at CNS News, cnsnews.com, one of the keenest uh, and most uh, studied uh, political minds I know, who also has uh, been involved in politics, uh, and a lot of it uh, that I think might relate to some of the issues uh, that um, have inspired and been inspiring to the America First agenda and that sort of thing. Terry, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on, Seth. I appreciate it. You betcha. You betcha. Um, first, overall general thoughts, uh, what we've learned since last Tuesday. Tale of Two Cities, or how do you see it? Well, I think it's um, it was a very sad day for Republicans, obviously. I think... There's an expectation that uh, the Republicans would win the Senate seat in Pennsylvania. They'd win the Senate seat there in Arizona. They'd win the Senate seat in Nevada, and they'd win the Senate seat in Georgia. And uh, and they didn't. We'll see what happens in Georgia with the runoff on December 6th. But, uh, you know, I think there's a real expectation and good reason to expect that the Republicans would take back the Senate as well as the House, and unfortunately they didn't do that. How do you explain, Terry, um, the one in Pennsylvania? That is just such a head-scratcher to me. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I have an explanation, and I don't know if if you buy it, and I don't know if it works, but it explains maybe some other races, too. You know, for years, people in our on our side of the aisle have been convincing ourselves that we live in a center-right country, and I'm just not so sure that we do. I'm just not sure that we do anymore. And I have been playing around with this thesis on and on again. For 30 years, we graduate 7 million high school and college students, 90% of whom are steeped in Marxism and socialism. It's going to catch up to us at a certain point. Does that thesis hold water or do you see something else going on? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I believe that Pennsylvania is clearly one of the key swing states in American politics mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. You know, President Trump won Pennsylvania in 2016. He lost it in 2020. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a major reason why Trump lost the presidential election yeah. in 2020. And I think if you look historically at Pennsylvania, there's a, there's a classic type of swing voter in Pennsylvania. Rick Santorum, who used to be a Republican senator from Pennsylvania appealed to those swing voters, and I think um, a couple things that Santorum had going for him, he's, he's Catholic and he was pro-life, and I think a Catholic social conservative appealed to that swing vote in Pennsylvania. The Republicans aren't going to win Philadelphia, they're not going to win Pittsburgh, but they need to win big elsewhere in Pennsylvania, and uh, Mehmet Oz was not able to appeal to that vote. In the Senate campaign, obviously, Fetterman was a very odd candidate, mm-hmm. but he was a Pennsylvanian. He had one statewide office, and he had a little more appeal to that classic Pennsylvania swing vote 
than Mehmet Oz did. Had the Republicans nominated someone who could have gotten out the vote that, that Santorum did and that even Pat Toomey did. When Pat Toomey ran for the Senate originally in Pennsylvania, he moved to the right on some issues. He presented himself as more of a traditional conservative, which I think is necessary to win that swing vote in Pennsylvania. And by the way, Seth, I mean, really, you want to contrast that. You just move one state over into Ohio, another historic yeah. swing state, oh. and you get J.D. Vance, who right. did great. And yep. I think it's because J.D. Vance, in his own, you know, with his own sincere beliefs and his uh, way of expressing them, appealed to precisely that swing vote that Mehmet Oz could not win in Pennsylvania. Yeah, let's let that Santorum thing. I've been talking about that a lot too. I, I I have said this was the state that elected Santorum. It was a few years back, but but not that far in the rearview mirror. The JD Vance thing is instructive as well. Uh, I, I'm playing around with another thesis. I'll throw at you and see what you think of it. Um, I'm not so sure the narrative that abortion killed us, the Dobbs decision killed us, is is quite accurate and quite complete. Um, I was looking at these exit polls, and the the highest number that you see on them where people issue an opinion is 30% say abortion should be legal in most cases. Well, the Mississippi law that was at issue in, in Dobbs, the, the Arizona law that Governor Ducey signed, which was similar, and that Ron DeSantis signed that was similar, they all were, you know, that 15-week period, that, that's, that, that covers more than 90% of most abortions, if it should be mostly legal, we're well within that territory. I wonder if candidates on our side, I know some of them did, they, they kind of ran and retreated from, from the issue when asked about it or confronted on it, they, almost as if they were acknowledging uh, Soto Voce, acknowledging the charges of extremism, kind of conceding the point to Democrats. That's not something J.D. Vance did. It's not something Ron DeSantis did. Um, I wonder if there's something to that. It's it's a, it's actually kind of going in the in the opposite way that conventional wisdom has on abortion. I think candidates that retreated did worse than candidates that stood strong on the point and talked about it. Yeah, I think you're right on target there. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, again, go back to Rick Santorum, or yeah. you look at J.D. Vance, who didn't, who didn't miss words. Rick Santorum was a traditionalist social conservative. He wasn't necessarily in line with the Republican establishment on a lot of other issues, right. but I think the Republican establishment this time around tried to get, tried to walk away from the abortion yeah. issue, yeah. And, and a lot of it was because of the media trying to spin the idea yeah. that the, the Dobbs decision was somehow going to be negative for Republicans, that the American people didn't want. And it was if they didn't know how to talk about it, was my concern. Yeah, it was going to be negative if they didn't know how to talk about it. Sorry to interrupt. It, no, no, exactly, but it, it historically, and I don't think it's changed, the swing vote in Pennsylvania and the northern Midwest as I mentioned, why did they vote for Rick Santorum? Pro-life. A lot of it was because he was a pro-life yeah. Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. And in the swing vote, why did they vote for Ronald Reagan? Pro-life. Because Ronald Reagan appealed to precisely yep. that vote. Yep. It is still the same vote. And when the Republicans walk away from that vote, they don't win. And when they appeal to that vote, they win big. Mm -hmm. And, for, you know, for the Republicans to turn their back on social issues, and also immigration, yep. because I think that same demographic is really ticked off, about our open southern border and about illegal immigration. When you have Republicans who are afraid to talk about abortion and talk about immigration, they're not going to appeal to that swing. By the way, another issue where Trump 
appealed to that vote was on trade. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so when you have a Republican who is pro-life, who wants to seal the southern border and stop illegal immigration, and is a hawk on trade in the way we deal with China and the way we deal with uh, cheap products coming at, from south of our border, you have a candidate that's going to make a lot of appeal to that northern Midwest swing vote that the Republicans need in national elections. And this is something you would know a ton about. Obviously, maybe the audience uh, should be reminded you were you were one of the craftsmen and campaign managers of the Buchanan campaign that first put those issues into play. I'm going to hold off on that part of your CV for a moment, Terry, and run one for for a longer segment because it deserves it in a few moments if I can. But let me throw one other thought at you on social cultural issues I've been toying with. Which is, you know, a lot of us were so energized uh, by a lot of people wanting to run for school board for, gosh, Bill Bennett and I have been urging them to do this for 25 years. They finally decided to wake up after they saw what 2020 uh, revealed to them about their schools. This was, you know, in many respects, these campaigns were crusades for children and our parents. And I think a lot of candidates that talked about it did really well. We had a couple Scottsdale school board Mama Bears that were just great, and they outpolled by 13 percentage points all our other candidates at the federal and statewide levels because they were talking about children's and parents' issues. Um, I think I think too many candidates were just it's the economy, stupid. Right. No, I think I think the schools are a huge issue, particularly for parents who have school-aged children, and uh, not everybody can afford, unfortunately, to send their kids to a private school if they don't like the local public schools. So the public schools need to be fixed. If it were up to me, and I think what the Republican Party ought to advocate is absolute, complete, 100% school choice, that every single parent in America that has a school-aged child gets a voucher that's equal to the amount that the local government, that the government pays to send someone to a local public school. And then the parent gets to decide if they want to send their kid to the local public school or they want to send their kid to a Catholic school or an independent private school or another religious school, but not be trapped in the public schools. And I think that's an issue that the Republicans need to make much more focus on in the future, because obviously uh, the children of families that have children are the most important issue to them. Yeah, I think that. And I think uh, also I think the effort that for choice to be meaningful, it has to be meaningful. And that this, that where there are crummy schools, um, that there is no there's no reason we can't roll up our sleeves and work on the curriculum, whether it's the sexualization of our children or the racialization of them as well. Let me do one more cultural issue with you on the other side of this break and then talk about some of those trade and what we think of as America first policies. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Terry Jeffrey, editor in chief at CNS News, CNSnews.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Terry Jeffrey is our guest. He is the uh, editor-in-chief at CNS News, cnsnews.com. Also himself a veteran of uh, many political campaigns, including the uh, Pat Buchanan presidential campaign, which he uh, which he managed. And uh, I think in many respects fueled a lot of the America First agenda that Donald Trump uh, ran on. We'll get to that in a moment. Terry, understanding these cultural issues, things that parents worry about a lot, but some politicians maybe kind of give um, 
give second tier status to. Um, I think another big one is the drug issue, um, the drugs in schools, the drugs and the youth uh, drug poisoning rates, which are through the roof, um, increasing, s- increasing far, far, far the number of deaths over what COVID challenged our children with. And, I, you know, I just I, I heard some talk about fentanyl, mostly as an immigration issue, mostly as an illegal immigration issue, I guess I should say. But not really enough about that issue generally. And I mean, again, I think we have we have something ripe for the picking that shouldn't appeal to only Republicans. But Republican well, no, candidates I, I, I agree, could appeal. I agree with you. And it obviously, uh, probably the focus ought to be more on the state and local yeah. level, on the federal level, yeah, about sure. stopping the smuggling of drugs into the United States. But on the state and local level, it has to be seriously enforcing the drug laws. Yeah. And uh, putting the people who are trafficking in drugs in prison and, and, and deterring people from going into that yep. form of crime because it quite literally kills kids. Yep. And if it doesn't kill them, it destroys their lives. Yep. And uh, it's, it's something that definitely has to be dealt with in our culture. And where our government has a role, it needs to play it aggressively. Okay, now thank you for that. I had now let me get back to uh, to a little bit of your of your CV of your <laughs> Terry. Um, I had a caller yesterday who said something really interesting, at least for its implications. He said, "I consider myself," he said, "an America First Republican, but I'm not sure most Republicans agree with me or I agree with them." And my first thought is. You know, America first has kind of become a phrase that's really just, in some respects, clay in the hands of whoever uses it. It it doesn't it it its def- definition kind of depends on 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 who's talking about it. When it first was issued by Donald Trump, a lot of us recognized it from the work you had done with Pat Buchanan. It was mostly at the top an economic and 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 somewhat foreign policy, defense policy, somewhat. But mostly it was an economic series of policies, and it didn't really touch until later a lot of the stuff we had just spoken about. Is that fair or accurate, or how would you think of it or put it? Well, I think it's interesting that I do believe President Trump very much adopted the agenda that Pat Buchanan was arguing yeah. for when he ran for president in 1992 and 1996 when I was working with him. And, um, you know, I think... I, I don't know if we originally applied America first to what Pat was advocating, but people started to, and Pat picked up on it. We actually ended up starting a uh, a group between the elections that we called the Putting America First Foundation. Oh, okay. okay. And uh, But the issues there, I think, uh, they, they did include foreign policy, but they included border security, mm-hmm. enforcing the immigration law. Yep. They involved an aggressive approach towards trade. Yep. Where we weren't going to let the Chinese, dump, you know, American corporations go to China, export cheap labor in China with the help of a communist government, and then bring those products back into the United States and destroy American companies that were trying to create jobs and maintain their manufacturing base here. And the same, of course, NAFTA was a big issue in the early 90s with, uh, with what happened with Mexico and the same thing. And, and, uh, so there's immigration, there's trade, and there was also foreign policy where, you know, Pat's belief was, and I agree with him, that the United States shouldn't get involved in foreign conflicts unless there was a serious threat to, you know, serious interests of the United States. And that the foreign policy of the United States 
need to be focused on the interests of the United States mm-hmm. and not on some globalist vision of spreading democracy all around the world or theoretically spreading our quote-unquote values mm-hmm. to places where they would, like Iraq, mm-hmm. for example, yeah. where there's absolutely no realistic possibility that they would be embedded in the local culture. And I think that Trump definitely has picked up on that foreign policy, and I believe that the American people have seen the wisdom of that foreign policy, which I really think historically through most of the history of our country has, in fact, been the approach that American leaders have taken towards America's uh, relations with the world. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's right. And and the question is then to me, um, if that is a winning formula, if, if Americans by and large still support that, uh, aside from Donald Trump, when the race is now off to 2024, do you see other candidates who are on board with that, or does he stand alone on that? I mean, where do you see DeSantis, for example, or some of the other people talking about it? I think it's clear some aren't on board with it. I, I'm not sure if DeSantis is, and I'm not sure if if you know if there are others that may or may not be. Right. You know, you have some uh, Republican leaders who obviously would like to see the United States get more aggressively involved in Ukraine, which I I think is nuts. I mean, I I believe Ukraine, we know what Russia is doing in Ukraine is wrong, but the interests of the United States are not engaged in that conflict in a way that we ought to get involved. And, um, you know, we saw the incident with the, the, you know, the uh, explosions in Ukraine yesterday, mm-hmm. where, all, I mean, excuse me, in Poland, where mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, you do have a NATO ally, yeah. and there's a big question yeah. there. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it shows you, you know, once you, I think most Americans probably don't realize, if Poland is attacked, we have an obligation yeah. to go to war yeah. in defense of Poland. Right. Because, because NATO says that an attack on one ally is like an attack on you. Right. And um, so I, I do think that the – I do think historically, you know, if you go back and you read what George Washington, for example, had to say about foreign policy yeah. and his uh, absolute reluctance to get involved in military conflicts when he was president, even though he had been commander-in-chief of the army that won our revolution, that the, the basic American idea of foreign policy is the federal government's role is to look after our interests. Mm-hmm and to look after our security, mm-hmm. not to look after some global vision or, or other nations. And, of course, originally the founding fathers, they didn't want to get aligned with France. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to get involved, for example, in the French Revolution, mm-hmm. which they were right not to get involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, and I think that idea really still is embedded in the American heart, in the American mind, but I do think there are elites in both parties that promote a globalist Wilsonian vision. Woodrow Wilson famously uh, was an advocate of that and wanted to get us involved in the First World War. And um, we got involved, obviously, in World War II. We were attacked by the Japanese. Mm-hmm. But the idea of the United States aggressively intervening in places where our security is not at risk, I think it was a mistake, and I think the vast majority of the American people understand that. Yeah, let me take this break and come back with you to push that thought with you just a little bit further, if I might. I, I, I kind of think one of the words that we're not using enough on either the drug problem, quite frankly, or the foreign policy entanglement problem is the word prevention. And, you know, there is some truth, maybe all the truth in the world that, you know, a country like Russia wasn't going to do that with a president like Trump. Let me pick up on that thought with you as well when we come back. Terry Jeffrey and I'll be right back.
Privileged to have Terry Jeffrey with us. Terrence P. Jeffrey is the editor-in-chief at CNSNews.com, a syndicated columnist as well, uh, uh, among many other things, veteran of many campaigns, political campaigns. Terry, uh, that point we went to break on, uh, yes, I think we universally would agree that Russia's invasion of any other sovereign nation, any nation's invasion of another sovereign nation is a horrible thing and 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 something we we should try to prevent as best we can it didn't happen under trump's watch it was very clearly uh something that showed i think the import of strong leadership from a president of the united states Uh, presidents are tested trump trump passed those tests i think biden had been tested again and again i think afghanistan's withdrawal was a big sign that not enough people are talking about and it seems to me he looks like uh, xi jinping and putin think this is a man that can be pushed around in a way that previous strong presidents could not be maybe i agree with that i think that's very true i mean they look at biden especially after the afghanistan withdrawal debacle Uh and uh they realize this guy's not going to do anything and uh and we don't have to worry about any kind of penalty at all from Biden for doing things that uh, in the past might have really uh, caused a reaction from the United States. So I think I think it's absolutely true that Vladimir Putin would be more worried about uh, ticking off Donald Trump than he is about Biden. I, I remind people of two things. I wonder if you would agree probably more with one than the other, but maybe both. You know, when Obama famously issued that red line to Syria... It wasn't I don't think the the interesting question wasn't that that Syria violated it and used poison gas. It was that they th- thought they could and they were right. I, I, I think that's that's what the interesting thing is there. They, they thought uh, that uh, Obama, I'm sorry, when Obama issued it, they thought Obama had, you know, ha- did not have the strength to do anything about it. And they thought they could and they were right about that. I also point out that there is a reason that the uh, 444 days of uh, Iranians holding American hostages ended on one particular day, and that was the day of Reagan's inauguration. I, th- I think those two kinds of things have to be kept in mind when we talk about these things. Exactly. I mean, maybe some people listening to your show, Seth, weren't alive when Ronald Reagan yeah. was inaugurated. Right. And that same day, our hostages were released yeah. by the Iranians. Right. Yeah. They didn't want to have to face Reagan. Right. They knew they didn't have to worry about Jimmy Carter. Right. They didn't want to have to face Reagan. Of course, Reagan went on to win the Cold War yep. without a single shot right. being fired between the United States and the Soviet Union. Right. And um, I, I think that's the kind of president we need in conducting the foreign policy of the United States. And by the way, Ronald Reagan did not get us involved in needless wars. Yes, he armed the Contras in El Salvador, for example, so they could fight uh, their communist enemies who were backed by the Soviet Union, but he didn't go to war in El Salvador. And, um, you know, I think that's the way that American foreign policy ought to be conducted, that, yes, we have interests all around the globe, and there are all sorts of instruments we can use to advance our interests short of actually getting involved in a military conflict. And Donald Trump, simply by the perception that foreign leaders like Putin had of him, deterred things like a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Right. But because Biden has projected weakness... Putin says, "Okay, I can go into Ukraine. I'm not. I'm not worried about Biden." 
Yeah, I, 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 it's 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 an ongoing concern that I don't think enough people quite understand. I mean, when w- China is not only pushing us around on policy, it's it's lecturing us on human rights every time we try to do it. It's just it's the price. It's the wage of a weak president that probably gets us closer to war rather than farther from it for those of us that don't want war, which I would hope would be almost, if not all of us. Let me do this, Terry. Um, what, can I keep you one more segment? Because sure. there, there's there's the big elephant in the room we haven't discussed yet, and that's you know gazing at 2024 vis-a-vis Donald Trump's announcement last night. And also, maybe somewhat attendant to that, how much you think the issue of the 2020 election debate uh, played into some of our, um, shall we say, more meager gains <laughs> last Tuesday? <laughs> let me let me reserve that for the other side of this break and give you your uh, full voice on that when we come right back. As I go to break, let me put in a word for our sponsors at Y-Refi. If you're concerned with stock market volatility, Y-Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return. That is not correlated to the stock market. A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest rate is compounded daily. You're paid monthly, and there are no fees. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. No loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a rate up to 10.25% return. That's right, up to 10.25% rate of return. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y dot com, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. We'll be right back with more from Terry Jeffrey. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Terry Jeffrey is our guest. He is the editor-in-chief at CNS News, cnsnews.com. Terry, uh, how much do you think candidates that uh, that were tied to the 2020 election dispute, uh, how much of a deficit do you think that caused uh, caused some of our less than less than admirable gains over the last week? <laughs> I, I, think it was, I, I think it definitely was a factor because if you look at the pattern, Candidates who bought into the idea that the 2020 election were stolen and, and held on to that idea to this point did not do well. And, um, I mean, it's my belief that anybody who looks at the facts of the uh, what happened in the 2020 election, the accusations that were made, and the investigations that were done are going to come to the conclusion that Bill Barr came to and he testified to in Congress that there was not evidence of sufficient fraud to change the outcome of the election. And I, I think uh, most American voters actually believe that. And I think, obviously, there are 69%. a lot of conservative Republican voters who believe that. 69% of, of the exit polls believed that, uh, which is a much higher percent than on any of the abortion questions, uh, <laughs> to, to, to satisfy your point or to substantiate your point, I guess I should say. I think it ended up playing well into the Democrats' last two weeks of rhetoric, too, quite honestly. And I think, um, you know, this danger to democracy stuff, which was such baloney, I wish I could use a bigger word, because so what if a candidate did believe it? What were they going to do about it? But it did go to something that I think played on people's fears that the Democrats exploited well. And I got to tell you, you may have seen some of these stories, but... 
uh, I'm seeing more and more of them now of Donald Trump really pressuring his 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 candidates to really push on that issue. Uh, even when they had started to retreat from it in the general election, he would not let them give up on it. And too many of them, I think, hewed to his demands there. I I, th- I think it was not a small deal. I I agree, and it's it's very unfortunate. You know, I I agree with Donald Trump on almost all the issues he's advocating, and that he advocated in 2016. And as I think you you mentioned, I mean, they were very similar to yep. what my old boss. Right. Pat Buchanan was advocating back in 92 and 96 when Trump had a very different vision. Yep. You know, Trump wasn't on board with what we were talking about back then, right. but he was in 2016. Mm-hmm. So Trump's right on that level, and he hasn't moved, and I think he did a good job as president in trying to advance those issues and those positions. But I think, uh, you know, I, I don't exactly love Trump's demeanor. If I was going to pick an ideal president, He'd act more like I think George Washington did or like Ronald Reagan did mm-hmm. and less like Donald Trump did. And I do think that an intelligent, reasonable person looking at the facts would come to the conclusion that former Attorney General Barr did, mm-hmm. not that President Trump did. And right. I, you know, I think it's ridiculous for President Trump to continue to claim that the election was stolen when the evidence shows Quite frankly, he wasn't. I mean, I, I look very carefully at what happened in Pennsylvania because there was all these you know, cases in federal mm-hmm. court mm-hmm. where things were submitted under oath. Mm-hmm. And in the end, when, when Rudy Giuliani went to argue the case in the federal district court in the central district of Pennsylvania, the judge asked him, are you arguing fraud? And, and this is on C-SPAN. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Giuliani said, no, we're not arguing fraud. And we're not, they weren't presenting evidence of fraud. Right. And they weren't. Right. So he, 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 Trump's own attorney, Rudy Giuliani, argued that there wasn't fraud in Pennsylvania when he had to stand in court and speak in a way that he was essentially under oath. Well, I think it shows uh, an additional an, an, an additional helping of, um, of political malpractice for people to keep pushing on that then. People like Donald Trump, perhaps the most responsible for it. Because there's also just nothing to be done about it right now other than changing laws at local and legislative levels, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's no real vehicle to fix it, to, a, to redress what happened in the past, whatever they believe, whatever they believe. And you and I are on the same page of what should have been believed. Anyway, I just, yeah, yeah, I agree. Terry, uh, what, 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 do you think, uh, what do you think the Republican Party looks like after last night's announcement? Uh, do you think Trump is in the driver's seat? Do you think uh, this is going to be a battle royal with DeSantis? Where, where, where do you just, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, I won't I hold think, you accountable. I, honestly <laughs> that, um, I don't know about DeSantis, but the members of Congress who might have thought for running for president, I think they're all very reluctant to do so now because they they think it would be a mistake to go out against Trump. Yeah. Because Trump has that intensely loyal base. Mm-hmm. You can debate how big a percentage it is of the Republican Party or the Republican vote. But anybody who runs against him in a primary is going to alienate that Trump base. And they're also going to have a hard time beating Trump in a multi-candidate party because right. of that intense Trump right. base. So... I, I think you're going to see very few people actually get in and challenge Trump. So, unfortunately, this is Trump, too, I think. And um, I think it's more of a question. And I, and I personally, I, I kind of question whether 
DeSantis is actually going to get into it. Yeah. Um, You're not alone. There are others who, who say he may not as well, based on just things they're seeing on the ground and, and, and you know, organization and that sort of thing. If Trump does get into it uh, in a serious, well, not if anymore, since Trump is now into it, uh, assuming he wins the primaries, assuming he becomes the general uh, election candidate, uh, can he win? I think, you know, it's obviously it's going to depend on who the Democratic candidate is. Biden's indicating that he's going to run again. It's not possible. So, so I think a lot will be dependent on if, if Biden's the candidate, how sentient is Biden yeah, yeah. two years from now? Yeah. And uh, so I think it would be an extremely interesting race yeah. to see a rematch between Trump and Biden. Yeah. And I really can't predict how that would come out, but it would be one of the most unusual presidential contests in recent history. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. And if it's not Biden, you know, it's interesting. I don't know. Is the Democratic Party is the Democratic Party uh, bench? Is it is it deep? I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a lot of names, but none of them seem to me to be that nationally well-respected or nationally capable of taking taking a big slice of the electorate. I guess Gavin Newsom, Kamala Harris, maybe Buttigieg. But, you know, I, I think they play very regionally, to be honest with you. Well, I, I think that the 2020 uh, Democratic primaries are instructive. Yeah. Joe Biden sat in Delaware in his basement. Yeah. Didn't really go out and campaign. He was the oldest guy running. Well, one of the oldest guys running. Yeah, there was an older and, one who moved younger. Yeah, right. <laughs> and by default, he ends up getting the nomination yeah. because Democratic voters really weren't attracted to all those other candidates. Yeah. So, and, and those are the candidates that would be likely to run in 2024 if Biden wasn't running. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, no, I think the Democratic Party is very weak, but I don't think that, you know, I thought Joe Biden was a weak candidate and he's not president of the United States. Which may drive back to that theory of mine that maybe this is a left-wing country more so than we're willing to admit in some respects. Maybe. I hope not. Maybe, yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's going to be your work and, and this audience's to uh, to get it otherwise. Tara Jeffrey, you're always generous with your brain and your time and your voice. Thank you, as always. Thank you, Seth. You betcha. I'm Seth Leibson, and I'll be back with a couple closing thoughts. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I was talking with a friend today, now that the... Uh, 2024 presidential campaign is off and running with the first declared candidate being Donald Trump. There will be others. And this friend of mine was asking me how 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 to think about, you know, these these obviously going forward into mural fights within the party, given the Ronald Reagan 11th commandment, which most people um, refer to as thou shalt not speak ill of fellow Republicans. And um, my only point is let's let let's not take it beyond what it meant. Um, first of all, it really wasn't Ronald Reagan's rule. It was one of his uh, campaign aides in his 1966 governor's run, gubernatorial run in California. Um, it, this, this wasn't a big part of things Reagan talked about throughout his career. It was, it was, it was a message uh, going to a very bitter fight where Ronald Reagan was subject to a lot of slings and arrows from his uh, more I don't know, for lack of a better word, more moderate um, opponent in the 1966 Republican primaries for governor. If you want to understand how Ronald Reagan really viewed that, um, keep in mind that uh, he was uh, he, he, he he had no hesitation 
about running against a sitting incumbent president in Jerry Ford in 1976 and fought damned hard to uh, wrest control of the party from a sitting incumbent Republican president. And I think um, it came as close as, as anyone ever had. It was an unprecedented effort by Reagan's part. So whatever whatever people think of that, there's still a lot of room, I guess I should say, to let her rip. Let her rip on principle, however, I think is something almost all of us would wish for and agree on. Let her rip on principle. Um, but don't don't let it cow you into silence. Don't let it cow you into not running against or arguing with fellow Republicans. Um, this is how our party's sword is sharpened. Uh, it's tempered in the steel. Excuse me, it's tempered in the fire of debate. Let the debates begin. I guess the season started last night. I'll be delighted to do it here with you. I'm Seth Leapson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>